I am Andrew Ryan, and I'm here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No, says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican, it belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. I rejected those answers. Instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose rapture. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 3 of the Resurrected A Winner Is You podcast. As ever, my name is David and I'm sitting 300 miles across from Mr. Alex Aldridge. How are you today, Alex? Ahoy hoy, how are you, sir? I'm fine. I'm going to start just being completely rude and not asking you how you're doing <laughs> when, I, when we first load up this Skype call because then if you're, if you're doing amazing or you're doing terrible, it'll be a genuine shock. Good point. Maybe I can slip it in later. Yeah. Or I can tell you at the end how it's changed from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. How, how things have progressed. Yeah, I was fine, but now. I might want a winner as you 20 point scale rating then. <laughs> okay. So you can tell me on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being perfect. Oh, I was going to say, don't reveal what number the, what the numbers mean, and I can just say a number and everyone will have oh, to yeah, yeah, figure okay, it out. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. So from my cadence for the rest of the episode, they'll be like, oh, he was he started off at a seven, but then he went down to a three. Or did he go up to a ten? I don't know which way the scale works. <laughs> but on the winner is you scale, a four might be better than a five, but also worse than a seven. So yeah. you never know. Exactly. That's how we like to keep things. The, the mysteries of a winner is you. <laughs> Enigma- the most enigmatic games podcast on the internet. Yes. Do you want to tell us what this episode is? Because this is sort of the first episode in earnest of our new and improved format, right? It is indeed. Um, although it is a format we we have treaded water with before. Uh, water being the operative word. Um, but now we're doing it full on as a as a our podcast mantra is we are starting off our game club podcast in earnest, as David said. Um, so today we are talking through Bioshock, which is our first game, which we picked basically because David had already played almost all of it <laughs> before we started podcasting again, so it was easy for us to get going. Yeah. Which, and to be fair, it's not a bad one to start with. It's like one of the the seminal Xbox 360 games, isn't it? It's Absolutely. Like the one that people hold up as being like a, I was going to say a modern classic. I guess it's not anymore. It's just a classic. I suppose you're right, yeah. Um, and I, I guess you can you can point to a lot of facets of this game that have been copied by lots of other games since then that they will obviously claim that they pioneered if not invented um yeah i don't know if this is the time of going but i think i said to you before or just after we 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 chose bioshock and we'd been saying that i'd been playing it and i think that i don't know if we want to dive right into it but i think this game is now starting to show its age but you can see the tendrils of how it moved the genre in the medium on a bit mm-hmm. um, and where where modern day storytelling has sort of taken what Bioshock did well and improved upon it as power and just storytelling prowess in the industry has improved. Yeah, I mean, when I've watched the the commentary stuff from, from the remastered versions, uh, it's, it seems as clear that Ken Levine and his team really wanted this to be thought of more as a shooter than an RPG. But 
in adding those RPG elements that they did to the game, mm-hmm. it it definitely pushed shooters into a different place than they'd been on before. Yeah. Certainly with a you know an emphasis on um, choice of how you play it, uh, specking a character, and the way that they tell the story and the emphasis on the story rather than just shooting stuff is is probably why this game is still held up where it is and why it was so influential. Yeah. I think that's for me the what I've had is the biggest takeaway of this game, and I was trying to think about this the other day. And Ken Levine's the first, the first game designer, if that's his proper job title, that I can think of in the industry that really put storytelling at the front and center of what he was doing. Now that's fairly commonplace. I mean, that's basically what Naughty Dog do now. But it probably wasn't very- what they were doing at this point. No, it wasn't. Definitely wasn't. But he's the first sort of big name guy. Like, there's lots of famous people in the in the industry over the years, but none of them saw the video game industry as a place where you come and tell stories. Whereas I think now it's a viable place where you can come and come and tell the story you want to. Whereas before, I guess I guess it's funny because Ken Levine's in a way gone and done it the other way around. But if you wanted to tell stories, you gone off and wrote scripts for movies and TV. Yeah, you didn't make games. True. Well, he's I mean, the first guy I can think of. Maybe Hideo Kojima. I was going to say, yeah, maybe the first, very good. the first Western developer for sure. Because yeah. around this time, you, if you're talking about big name American or Western developers, you, the only other guy that springs to mind from, when was this out? 2008? Something like that. That's This is like the Cliff Blazinski. Exactly who I was going to talk about. Yeah. And they, there's nothing story based about that dude. No, absolutely not. And the other one, the Peter Molyneux, is the other big name around that area that I can think of as well. That's true. Yeah, who who did try stories actually? To be fair, yeah, he um, was big on lies. He, he told a yeah, lot of stories. Big on lies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he yeah he just I think he was, but he wasn't making he just, shooters. No, he was he was making RPGs, which I suppose is a lot of what RPGs have always been. Yeah. Do you think R- I think RPG storytelling is better now? Do you think it's better because in part by this game of this game? Um, again, modern RPGs, yes, but I suppose if you're looking at RPGs in general, a lot of people will probably point to the ones that were on the previous generation of consoles in terms mm-hmm. of the Final Fantasies and things like that. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the JRPGs, I suppose, are always really heavy on story because the combat was always turn based and it was always a means to get to the next part of it. Is um, it Bioshock's fault? I'm trying to think, is that maybe you've got a better memory than me but is it bioshock's fault that then we kick-started about 10 next 10 well five to ten years of every game that wasn't an rpg told their story through audio logs is it this game's fault I, I think it must be yeah and i think that on on paper and in principle that idea works because you don't want to be totally stopping the action all the time especially in this type yeah. of game certain genres of game obviously that's fine you can you can stop the action to watch a cutscene in an rpg a jrpg or whatever um all you want but in in a shooter that they want to keep as being um fast paced and action oriented then you you don't want to be interrupting the player all the time but unfortunately that will lead to you missing out on parts of the story but just purely because you can't really pay attention to two things at once Certainly no, when one getting... person's telling a nice, quiet story on an audio log while a big daddy's charging and trying to spear you into a wall. <laughs> I do notice that they, they try to, like, 
ramp the volume of the audio log up while you're getting attacked but it still never really was enough i'd normally if i found an audio log i would stand basically still because if anything else happens you you forgot to listen to the audio log it's like it's like sticking an episode of porridge on in a doctor's office as you're dishing out cancer diagnoses and then quizzing people on what happened (laughs) on the porridge episode especially when they're giving you codes to a door the code is one seven nine five what Sorry, mate. This splice is just trying to rape me with a hook hand. I ain't got time for your numbers. So I normally I'd bring up the map screen because that you can listen to it, but it pauses the game. So uh, if you hit the map yeah, screen, you can smart. listen to the audio log in in comfort while the big daddy stands and waits patiently for you to stop looking at a map. Which I guess is a shame because that essentially negates what they were trying to do. They were allowing you trying to let you to carry on playing the game and ab- absorb the story, but really. If you wanted to properly absorb the story, you couldn't do that. Like, I found that the first time I played this game back in, what, 2008, did you say? Yeah, I I really took the story in. And this time round, I played while I listened to the audio logs, and I had to go back and watch videos to remind me what the story was, because I just hadn't absorbed it at all. Do you think that the part of that is 2007? Do you think that part of that is because... You've already you already know the story. Do you feel like it was diminished because you knew? What I, was I guess happen? there's probably an extent to that. That's probably why I didn't give it the same reverence as I did at the time because I was like, oh, I've experienced this. Let me play the game. And I certainly feel like because I knew what the story was and how it was going to change, I wanted to get to that moment and see it again and see if it still felt good. That yeah. I, everything after that felt like such an anticlimax to me and that's not necessarily just on me i think it's partly on the game as well Mm -hmm. we'll get to it later but i feel like i was waiting for those moments so intently that everything else afterwards just felt anticlimactic because i was done with what i wanted to see yeah shall we just get into it then sorry (laughs) yeah sorry i thought you were going to say something no 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 no. yeah let's go i was thinking if anything else we wanted to bring up but we might as well go into it so what we're going to do now is and we will do on all of these episodes is take you through the game um with some you know the key moments that have happened and we will discuss them as we go along so i've got a bunch of notes here so i'm going to start reading them out so if i don't sound like a normal human being talking anymore it's because i'm reading the script um so obviously we start out on the plane with our protagonist, Jack, he's talking about his parents and saying they'd, they'd always said he'd do great things. <clears throat> and very sudden... No, before we go further than that, this was apparently, according to the commentary, added in very late. So repeat that again, sorry? So the whole oh, sorry, point... the, Sorry, to let you behind the curtain there, is that my dad's coming to help me fit a TV today and he says, I said, I'll be around from about half three. Are you free? And he's like, yeah, we'll see you then. And then he's just sent me a text with one word and a lot of question marks, munting. And I'm like, what is he talking about? So that, <laughs> so that appeared and then that totally threw me off because I'm like, I've got no idea what he's talking about here. Okay, right. that isn't That isn't a word. It's not even a Scottish word. It's just nonsense. Is it not? Anyway. Okay, well, so... A munter is an ugly person. Munting. Yeah. So maybe he's going hunting ugly people? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Friend of mine used to work. Sorry. A friend of mine used to work at a company called Munters, and I mean that was endless sources of. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah. Right. So, we start out on a plane. You got our protagonist Jack. He's talking about he's smoking his cigarette. So it's clearly in the sort of sixties or late. Nineteen sixty. What nine eight or something? It's the earliest in the sixties. This game set right. Yeah, because at one point you see something in the game where it says Happy New Year, nineteen fifty nine. I think so. It's okay. it's probably a few years on from that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so he's talking about how his parents always said he'd be doing great things. Now, on the commentary, they talk about the fact that this part of the game was added in very late because I think they didn't even have this cutscene initially. Apparently, you just started off in the water and people had no idea what the hell was going right. on. They didn't, yeah, they, okay. they didn't connect to anything because they didn't know who they were. That cutscene looked so good in the day. Like with it, that was probably the first time I can think of seeing like smoke rising from a cigarette and stuff like that. Yeah. The funny thing is, is that this cutscene and the end cutscene are basically the only cutscenes that aren't in engine in the whole game, and yet their total time length must be less than a minute. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so very suddenly, the plane crashes before Jack wakes up in the sea amongst its burning wreckage. Uh, miraculously, there's a lighthouse. Apparently, there's always a lighthouse uh, within swimming distance. You climb the steps and enter the darkness before the lights flick on to reveal a statue of a man named Andrew Ryan towering above you, accompanied by a banner with the slogan of No Gods or Kings, Only Man. You walk to it down some steps towards a bath sphere, pull the lever to be greeted by... The short film explaining Andrew's vision and then his Jurassic Park style reveal of Rapture in all its glory, which to me still felt very, very good. Yeah, it's really well done. That the game is is something that the that I think the game does very well, and this epitomizes it is is the sense of feel in place, which I think is really important in a game. Mm -hmm. And it's it's both impressive but also slightly intimidating as well because of the rundown nature of it in the dark. Like you know something's not quite right with it, obviously. Yeah, it's become a dystopian sort of hellscape. But mm -hmm. um, to think how impactful it feels when all they've really done is put a screen, like a TV screen over Rapture so they can load it in <laughs> in the <laughs> background and they just have a man talk about, you know, no, says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. And then just pull it up and reveal all this like art deco underwater whales neon lights whatever it um yeah that's that's classic stuff that that even if people just remember that part of this game it's it's unforgettable isn't it yeah yeah absolutely really really good um so with, as david pointed out when you arrive uh at the stop for the bar sphere um you can immediately realize that the city's gone to hell you see a man getting sliced up apart by a, a person with hooks for hands who then tries to get in the bath sphere. And that's when you get introduced to Atlas, who comes over the radio and asks, would you kindly pick it up? Which is... Yeah, I think that's, I remember that being a really impressive thing. It's important to remember this game in context, because I think if you were a young person that never experienced this game when it came out, and then you picked it up and started playing it, I, I think it maybe would be less impressive as it is without the context in mind so like stuff like like I, I again i can't think of another game that used and played upon sort of classic video game mechanics and used it and integrated it in the story certainly as effectively as this because like like a lot of games they'll make you pick something up and until you do exactly what the game wants you to do it won't progress and there's but they actually built a narrative purpose into that <laughs> in this game which yeah. i just think is is fantastic and i can't again it maybe has been done but i can't think of an example of when this was done before which it sh just shows how important a game this was in its day yeah and speaking to that as well is the fact that this game has several endings where it has a couple of endings which which 
gives the player some agency of choice of what ending they're going to get. Ken Levine, again, in the in the commentary, states how disappointed he was that he had to do that and that was forced upon him by 2K because the fact that the game giving you multiple endings and therefore giving you a choice kind of goes completely against the, the meta commentary of you don't have the choice. That's basically uh, what the game's yeah, about, yeah. is that there's no you have no choice. People say, would you kindly, and you've got to do what they say, and that is how we as the player are going to be doing it anyway because we want to progress. So, yeah, so weird that they forced him to do that. It's almost like they just didn't understand at all what he was trying to go for. <laughs> yeah, and that's interesting you say that, actually, because obviously I didn't know that, but uh, what's interesting by that is I feel like it was in, it was in amongst the time where every game had a choice and because like games were exploring giving the player choice and how the game and like offering up multiple endings it kind of it, it's a little bit there's no nuance in it it's either good or bad there's no in between with it which is a shame um but it's interesting that he never wanted that because i feel like this is one of the games that sort of led that charge in multiple choice endings yeah and so from what i've just had a quick look at uh, Mass Effect. The first Mass Effect came out a few months after this, which was obviously okay. massive on that that mm-hmm. aspect. But that was more yeah. heavily, a, you know, an RPG than this is. Yeah, especially the first Mass Effect. That was very much an RPG. That mm. game. Yeah. Um, so we go around the corner. We grab our first first weapon, which is a wrench, uh, and then shortly after that, we get. I, our I assume first... that's got some. Oh no, is it? What is it in Half Life? Is it a crowbar? Oh yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's a good point. Actually, that could be a nod back to the. To I Half-Life. assume so. And they must have been influenced by that. Surely, yeah, you have to be. I mean, every game is. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> uh, and then we we shortly after that we get our first plasmid, which is electro bolt. So they 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 kind of hamper you with a, a terrible weapon, but then they they give you this extra power and they want to introduce that nice and early into the game and they let you so that was the first point and i'm hoping you can actually make it fit a bit better in my head but that was the first point where the narratives like i'm just like there's a little bit of a crack here but what is it called ludo is that the right word the ludo narrative dissonance like i didn't i don't see like if i was in that position does he get does he get told to jab himself in the arm because he just seems to do it yeah, I think he does. I think Atlas says, this is what you're going to need to help get yourself out of here. But after he does that, that's when he passes out, isn't it? He, he gets the power yeah. in his hand, he passes out, he falls over that rail. And then a big daddy and his little sister walk past you and sort of say, oh, he's still breathing. We'll get him later or whatever. So he clearly can't handle it at first. But Atlas does yeah. say, I don't think he says, okay. would you kindly? But he definitely no, says... I would imagine myself, it. if I got put in that position, the last thing I'd be thinking to do is just stab myself with an unknown concoction of drugs yeah and, and that's not something to be doing that is another element that i'm going to jump i'm going to clearly we're going to be jumping around all over the place today yeah but the ending of the game the good ending of the game where you see the guy clearly like an old man dying mm-hmm. i mean with all the splicing he's done in his life which is a an element of rapture that was purposely hidden away from modern medical yeah. science <laughs> um how the hell they managed to cure him of all of that and he doesn't end up <laughs> turning into a mentalist is quite impressive yeah his absolutely. immune system must be pretty pretty hardcore well he was maybe he was maybe he was created that see i'm spoiling it all i'm spoiling all of it spoiling all of it <laughs> so um, hopefully you've played this game if you're listening to this podcast yeah you've had enough time now 
Um, so I've got just like a little note here that the early game uh, was really heavy on sort of set pieces. So there's a plane that crashes into the pipe as you're walking through it. There's like architecture on fire falling down in front of you. Doors are bursting open with water and leaking everywhere. It starts off really kind of um, leaning on the horror element, I think. Rather than just letting you get in there and shoot stuff because you're stuck with just a wrench. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's really it feels like it's full of sort of jump scares and and darkness and the horror aspect of it is heavy in the beginning. Yeah, and I'm assuming that's deliberate. It's probably one of my the things that about this game that I think it still does well today is. I remember when we and I don't know why I remember this specific conversation, but when we were speaking about Bioshock back in when it came out, I remember the feeling that although it was a shooter. Usually, I guess, in shooters in those days felt like they were kind of power fantasies, or at least the ones I had played up to yeah, that point. Whereas yeah. this one, you always felt like you were about an inch from death. You were yeah. all, you were never, you were never going in and kicking ass. You were always just scrambling not to die to get on in the next part of the game. And I think that that setup and that sort of almost horror like beginning of the game does a good job of portraying that to you. Like this, this isn't somewhere where you're just going to be all powerful and shoot everything. This is a dangerous, dangerous place you don't know what's going to be around the next corner and you are going to struggle yeah. in places and it is a, it's a tough game yeah and it can give you the illusion of that yeah you know you're always getting more and more plasmids and you're always specking up your character but the game does quite well in ramping up its difficulty spike with mm-hmm. your progression as a character because by the end so the last couple of areas you go to even the regular splices they take a lot of punishment before they're going to go down yeah that's maybe one thing that i would offer as criticism for this game is at some point the enemies do become very bullet spongy mm-hmm. and yeah. there's not a lot of sort of feedback to the player that you're actually doing damage to some of these characters because they just sort of ignore your bullets until they die and there's not really any explanation as why no there's no reason why they're more powerful than the ones you saw at the beginning that take one hit and from a shotgun and they're dead yeah, you just all of a sudden you've got the same splices that take twenty shotgun blasts to the face and <laughs> will still stand in a game where ammunition ammunition <laughs> is an absolute premium. Yeah. Um. So where are we up to at this point? So this is where Atlas then explains it. He has a family. They've been he's been separated from them. They're in Neptune's bounty, and he wants you to go rescue them. He, you're that you're his only hope to do so. You go through a hole in some gentlemen's toilets to walk out above a sort of a theater area and you can see down below a little sister harvesting adam from a corpse atlas then tells you these are the little sisters he explains what adam is you drop down and then you watch through a glass window as a splicer tries to attack the little sister and then the big daddy just completely wrecks him and spears Mm -hmm. him punctures him into a wall what do you think about the first I mean, we've had a. You get quite a few teases of the big daddies at the beginning of the game. What did you feel about the way they introduced that and the little sisters? I really like the big daddies and the little sisters. They're, they're really. They're, they've got such a. We were talking about before being scrambling to be alive. Like, at no point in the game does a big daddy become a formality. They're no. always a threatening presence in the game. And choosing to take one on is a conscious choice you don't just see one and think oh here goes the big daddy fight i quite often was playing through this game saw a big daddy and decided just to leave it alone for a while because i just wasn't in a state that i felt i was able to take it on and i like that and i think the big daddies are the real the real standout in this game for me i was did you did we both played the 
the remaster for yeah. this. And did you ever go and have a look in the museum where they ha- in the main menu that they have added to the game? No, I didn't. So it's really interesting. You go in there and they've got concept art about the big daddies and like where they came from, and some it's it's a really interesting sort of journey they went on to. One of the ones that actually ended up the original big daddy design actually ended up appearing in Bioshock Two, and that was the one that had rockets for hands. Yes, yeah, because they were supposed to have three types, weren't they? But they cut them down to just yeah. the two. Yeah, yeah, to just basically concentrate on the other ones and get them finished. And the other. I thought that was interesting that they decided to cut that one. Um, but the 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 one bit actually that made me think about this is when you were talking about it. originally the and right up to near the end, the big daddies had two drill hands or two gun hands, like basically two mm. offensive arms. Yeah. Um, instead of having the one hand and the one offend like either gun or drill that they have yeah. in the finish game. And the reason for that was is that they wanted a way that the big daddies could interact with the little sisters yeah so that that could create some sort of obviously the because the big daddies have been brainwashed to look after these things um yeah. they just wanted some way to try and humanize it and humanize the little sisters because that's again sorry if i'm jumping all over the place again that's another thing that they spent a lot of time according to this museum doing was that they originally the little sisters didn't exist and they were just slugs yeah slithered about yeah and they how do you have empathy for a slug yeah exactly and that's that's exactly why they did it they tried they tried lots of things they the ones that i remember well obviously tried the slugs and they were just finding that people didn't care and people were quite happy to carve them up and then even had they even trialed dogs in wheelchairs to try and what elicit yeah they tried to try and elicit player empathy which i'm glad they didn't do and I would say I'd have I would be more upset about dogs in wheelchairs I than I would about little might have sisters. Put me off the game, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they um, ended up setting on little sisters, and then obviously the hand thing and removing an offensive weapon from the big daddy all built into that because this this I just thought it was an interesting journey of trying to elicit emotion from the players that they would empathise with these. It's a ballsy monsters. choice as well because yeah. you know the unwritten rule of video games is you don't harm children in video games ever. Mm-hmm. Not even GTA. In GTA, there are no children. You can't run any Absolutely. children. You can't shoot them. Yeah. You can't run them over because they don't exist in these games. So, yeah. although it's the the harvesting part of the Little Sisters is largely not seen to the player, but to give you know to give the player an, an option to basically murder little children to become more powerful was a very gutsy choice that they somehow got away with. It's a it's a gutsy choice in some ways, but also such a like again, completely lacks nuance choice. Oh yeah. Like, do you want to be a child killer or the savior of the universe? There's yeah. no in between. <laughs> yeah, and also sort of okay. So these slugs aren't working. Nobody seems to care. What can we do instead? Little girls, kill little girls. <laughs> there was funny though. It's like you can honestly see the thought process because they're like the other the other option was like what else do people care about dogs dogs people think dogs are really <laughs> crippled cute. If dogs. If this was a Japanese game, it, would, it wouldn't have been a dog. It would have been a cat. Or, yeah, it would have been. A, yeah, and the dog would have been controlling it all, like at the end of Silent Hill Two. <laughs> yeah, because dogs are evil and cats are brilliant. Um, so. The end of that opening area begins with the first of many, and one of my biggest issues with this game, uh, splicer gank attacks. So Andrew Ryan appears on a screen. He admonishes us for ruining his city. 
which I'm pretty sure he did a great job of him by himself. Yeah. Um, and then, so he's on this like film screen, isn't he? As you're at the door to go into the medical pavilion and then yeah. the, the splicers try to break through the screen that you're watching Andrew Ryan on, but Atlas manages to open the door and we head into the medical pavilion. But the gank attacks become quite tiresome after a while. This is the first mm-hmm. one, so it's not too bad because you're underpowered yeah. and it should feel that way, like a desperate escape. But yeah. the game, that's its favourite trick, I think, is... is Here's the lights go off. Shit, those are splices come at you. Yeah, and it does. It, I mean, yeah, you're right. It does get totally tiresome. But I thought that one instance actually worked quite well. Purely, I think, because it's yeah. the first one. Um, but yeah, you're right. The and and the play dead mechanic got <laughs> tiresome <laughs> yeah. as well. Like, There's no reason for that at all. Every time you walk in, you see a body. Like you're not dead. <laughs> uh, well, and it doesn't really. There's some of the surprises lost because if you look at them, then your cursor goes red. The, the, <laughs> it goes red so you can shoot them and then sometimes they just talk they just sort of start talking while they're lying down did I, you I find that. talking about that did you find that the audio the instant the instance audio in the game was a bit all over the place like i would be walking <laughs> yeah. in a room and i could hear a splicer speaking like they're right next to me <laughs> but i think they were in the floor above like, <laughs> who even knows but like, I mean, half the time, what pissed me off more than that is half the time they would appear behind you in a room you've just cleared. Yeah. You find that the AI mapping's really yeah. weird. But the worst yeah, noises really that they had was when they would always have like a, you know, they, they'd have their little saying of what they were going to say. Usually this woman who's telling you, you're never going to make it or whatever. Oh, she's twice as ugly as me. She'll never make it. And then, but then you just hear like, like scrabbling around and running and it sounds as you say like they're right behind you but there's nobody there yeah yeah it's the only thing i could come up with is is that there must be someone in a a room adjacent to you that you can just hear yeah i think sometimes if you haven't entered a door yet every time you walk in front of that door it's it it plays the sound that's behind that door really loudly for you to Uh, kind of alert you that there's people in there um but it does just sound like they're already in the room you're in the other thing, talking about we're on that subject, the other thing that jumped out at me in the in the, the sort of I'm assuming because it's just modern hardware and consoles come button up against an older game, but the sort of directional audio was so like all over the place as well. So like if you, like if you're wearing hear, earphones, you would hear it on your right ear, right? If they were on your right, and as if you turned the character model round. Yeah. It would be right ear, right ear, right ear, right ear, boom, left ear. There was no sort of drift <laughs> yeah. between the two. But I'm assuming that's just because it's an old game. Uh, I guess so. I didn't I didn't use headphones for mine, so yeah, I can't speak to that. But uh, yeah, that would be really disconcerting. It was of really sudden. off-putting, yeah. yeah. Um, so now we're in the medical pavilion. We're following the story of Dr. Steinman. Um, so you could, obviously this is where you're picking up loads of audio logs now for the rest of the game to hear the stories of all the different main characters. So his his tapes reveal that he has this admiration for Andrew Ryan uh, for letting him sort of truly pursue medical science untethered thanks to Adam. Uh, he sees himself as the Picasso of surgeons. And then the game starts to get some sort of uh, Metroidvania style elements to it. So in the crematorium... You go into this side room, you pick up the incinerate plasmid, um, and then you get, again, a gank attack comes at you, but you can you can f- uh, fry the... There's loads of oil spilt in front of the door, isn't there? Mm-hmm. You, can, you have to crawl under a door, you, you set the oil on fire, all the splicers can't get in and get you. You can then use that to open frozen doors and blocked pathways. Yeah. 
um, and in, you go into a dental office and you get telekinesis, which you need to catch a grenade from a splicer on a balcony and then throw that into debris that's blocking the door of where you need to go. So I'd kind of, I mean, I knew that the plasmas existed, but I, and I knew that that telekinesis bit was coming, but I, I sort of forgot about how much they gate off parts of your progression through addition of plasmids, which. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I had forgotten that as well. And it's actually quite well done in hindsight. And yeah. the, the only thing I would have liked to see is maybe incentivize players to go back to older parts of the, the game and maybe make traveling between areas a bit a bit easier because really it is just one of these long corridor games that we've spoke about a few times isn't it mm. but yeah yeah i actually forgot until right near the end of the game that you could go into a bathfish station and could go anywhere in the that you'd been before yeah i think i i think i had forgotten that until the second as <laughs> i was as i was saying that i was like you are talking rubbish david yeah because i because there's a bit later on where you you get the choice to go back later on and get a reward mm-hmm. for something. And I kept thinking to myself, like, how have I got to walk all the way back to get that? So I Googled it, like, how do you go back here? And it basically said, just go to a bathroom station and select it. Oh, oh, yeah. Basically, really yeah. easy to fast travel. Yeah, it's probably on me more than the game then, to be fair. Um, so we get another instance here where you get the lights turned off and a mob of splicers trying to attack you. But this is uh, near the entrance to Dental when you get the, the shotgun, which at this point, I guess you've only got a pistol and a wrench, haven't you? So this is where you yeah. pick up the shotgun. So it's it's keeping the mix pretty, um, I guess, parallel to itself within you getting new guns and plasmids kind of a, a, a similar rate. Yeah, I actually think the for me, the shotgun's both one of the best weapons in the game and the worst weapons in the game. The best, like... I think, again, another criticism I would have of the game, I think in a modern context, a lot of the weapons feel like they lack weight. Like, I always think of, like, the Destiny shotgun or the Halo guns, in the, especially the Halo shotgun, and, like, when you pull the trigger, it feels like you've got this big, meaty weapon. Yeah. And actually, the one gun that I think actually manages to pull off meatiness in the game is the shotgun, but it doesn't translate again, it doesn't translate into the actions of the people you're shooting so like the gun feels meaty but the actual reaction of the characters that you're shooting i, I think lacks the meatiness i think eventually in the game it's, it almost seems like it's purposely trying to make you combine everything yeah. so you're not going to get a good amount of damage or you're not going to get that reaction from the enemies unless you plasmid them first and then follow up with a weapon and that's yeah i guess like to build on that that's another thing i wanted to i wanted to mention it yesterday when i was finishing off this game is that it was it's a shame and almost it's partly on me and partly i think on the game like it wasn't until i was almost finished the game that i realized oh wait you get a far better result in terms of shooting enemies if you make sure you choose the right bullets. So like if you've got someone that's an armored yeah. enemy, make sure you're using armored armored bullets. And if you've got anti-personnel bullets, yeah. use them against the splicers because it really does tear them up. Yeah. The problem with that is the game is so frantic. It's difficult to actually stop and think about that while you're in the moment fighting. And also ammo is such a scarcity in the yeah. game for me, or at least it was for me. Maybe I just can't sh- hit my shots. But it's <laughs> such a scarcity that... Even though I knew that was a thing, it almost didn't matter because I didn't have the right ammo for the for the job anyway, or I didn't have enough ammo for the job anyway. So 
It's both, well, a, it's both a great thing and a, and a shame, really. Yeah, and not hitting your shots actually does speak quite well to the fact that the aim down the sights in this game is piss poor. Yeah. It's so bad. Yeah. The only the only gun in which you can actually get any accuracy through aiming down the sights with is the uh, crossbow. Mm-hmm. Which I, I really like that gun as well. Actually. Oh, that will so. one shot an enemy even towards the end mm-hmm. of the game if you yeah. can if you can hit them with it, especially if they're running from bees or on fire. Yeah, that's I I think I took a couple of cool clips of me doing that sort of getting some long range snipes or somebody walks at me they're running at me and I just flame and then one shot them in the head with a, a bolt that was pretty cool. <laughs> was the flame your plasma of choice? I ended up using the the electricity is tended to be my one. I feel like the the electricity is one that I use quite a lot. The biggest disappointment I think in terms of the plasmids is the fact that the freeze one. It almost you get loads of these plasmids that talk about like oh you once you've frozen them if you, if you hit them with a wrench or whatever it does more damage. But I remember I tried that towards the end and I froze a guy and I hit him with a wrench and it took off the smallest sliver of his. <laughs> Because I think once they're frozen, right, they get an extra bar, like a frozen health bar, don't they? And you've got to whittle yeah. that bar down and they'll basically yeah. just explode in a... Yeah. Yeah. But I found that was really difficult to to get through. Like four shotgun shots before you have to reload would not yeah. do it. Yeah. I felt no, like that should... That. If, you, if you think about a game like um, Duke Nukem, once you freeze an enemy, you, you just kicks them and they, they explode. <laughs> so, and yeah, that was the biggest shame for me. But I, I after I got bored of the electro bolt thing, especially because they were getting zapped every time they hit me anyway. I, I started using the fire quite a lot towards the end. Mm-hmm. I did find it fun to use telekinesis as well and pick up corpses off the floor and throw them at other enemies. Oh, I wish I'd enemies. done that more. I think my the reason I ended up using the electricity one is there's a lot of water about, but also because yeah. you spend so many time doing hacking puzzles. If I walked into a room, I used to like to basically take over all the turret guns and a, a, an electro bolt basically lets you zap it and then run up on it and do a hack. Which I misconstrued in my head as zap everything and it's easier to hack it ah right okay but you're supposed to freeze it <laughs> so and it makes it easier to hack it makes the thing go slower if you ah. freeze it first so i i forgot that and i kept zapping everything like even safes i was like what it's still really hard to hack it i've zapped it what are you talking about so yeah that's what you're supposed to do apparently is, is use the freeze bolt on on God anything it. and it will slow the hacking water transfer thing down where were you 10 hours ago yeah, but the telekinesis using that was probably almost always an accident because I'd used it to pick up something far away and forgot to change back and an enemy just ran at me and I tried to zap him and I ended up just doing telekinesis by accident. <laughs> Thank God the, the plasmid and gun uh, you know, wheels pause the game because otherwise uh, that game would be impossible. Yeah. There oh, is yeah. nothing in the AI that isn't leg it at this man and hit him as hard as you can from all angles. Right, where are we up to? So we get some introduction as well in this area to Dr. Su Chong, who developed all the plasmids. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we still haven't fought a big daddy yet. So you go through to Steinman's surgery through a tube, and that's when you see on the other tube, there's a, like a, a parallel adjacent tube to you where you can see a big daddy hulking along with his little sister next to him. This, um, you know, They build these things up as this pervasive threat that's going to be everywhere yeah. you go. Um so we've this we've touched on this before. This is where you get into his surgery by catching the grenade with telekinesis, blowing away the door. And by the time you get to Steinman's surgery room, he's clearly gone totally insane. And he's got this corpse on a table. He's hacking away at it, talking about how 
ugly she was and he's got these strung up patients that he turns lights on there in the ceiling and he shines spotlights on these people that have been hanged saying that this one was too ugly like, this one was too, too fat, fat yeah. too tall yeah he screams at how ugly we are uh and then just <laughs> just whips out a machine gun and you and the battle begins um so i think there's some elements in this where you can set the floor on fire you can zap him you can throw loads of objects at him um i i can't remember what i used as my technique i probably just was as you said totally into zapping stuff at this point yeah so i probably did that but um this is the first kind of boss battle i guess that we have in the game mm -hmm. do you remember much about it yeah yeah um it was it was good it's probably i'm trying to think of like the the ones that are jumping out in terms of boss battles in my head is is that one then there's the um, actually i shouldn't jump ahead but the one that i actually remember liking was when you meet the oh, what's the guy called that does the entertainment stuff with the on stage things oh um sander cohen yeah he's he's the one i remember um enjoying yeah, yeah. but yeah I, it, it, I actually kind of struggled struggled to come up with a lot to say about this the only the only pervasive memory i have of this section is when you're talking about using the telekinesis to catch grenades it took yeah. me too long to remember that's what i was meant to do <laughs> um yeah it's not it's, it's not a very memorable battle to be honest you you it's just a guy with a gun his setup is quite cool because you see him yeah. through the glass and he screams at you and he's gone nuts but in terms of the actual fight it's really just a, a more powerful enemy with a machine gun yeah and actually to an extent i quite like that for the most part bioshock sticks to this but when you, when you come to these boss battles, and this guy's an example of it, rather in a lot of video games, what they'll do is they'll give you a bunch of normal enemies, and then they'll 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 just have a bigger guy that has explosions, <laughs> and they'll add him and make yeah. him the boss. Whereas this guy is just a normal dude. Yeah, um, and I guess and I like, that's all of Rapture, and I like really. that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like that. I like the game that within its own world, it's consistent. Yeah, because what? And that's just an example of that. What what would actually make him a more powerful enemy? He's, he's a doctor. With a gun. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. got nothing else. Yeah. Like, you've almost done what makes him a more powerful enemy, i.e. got through his area. Yeah, um, exactly. His his power is the people he seems to be in charge of, or the, his sort yeah. of dangerous zone. His so intellect when you get as well, him, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so when you've sort of come up against that and already done it, just getting on and killing him, I think, works well. Yeah. Uh, so we get the key off of him. Um, to the emergency access, which is where we've been trying to go this whole time to get to Neptune's bounty. Uh, as we exit the surgery, uh, you get a tunnel collapsing. Rattler says that Rapture's a piece of shit. Uh, and then you see a big daddy come flying through a glass window in this smouldering heap. His little sister is left now by herself, um, mm -hmm. and she has to try and fend off this splicer who is about to kill her until he gets shot for, uh, in the head from a balcony by Tenenbaum, who pleads with you to spare her. Right, yeah. uh, but Atlas comes through on the radio and says she's the reason that the little sisters are as they are. Um, and one of Steinman's audio logs as well actually explained that Tenenbaum's ideal was that it wasn't like killing them to remove this sea slug from them. It was more like removing a terminal patient from life support. So Tenenbaum as a character is definitely a very... She's got a very divisive nature about her. She is clearly the reason that these little sisters are how they are. She was big behind the project for it, but she now totally regrets what she's done um, mm -hmm. and asks you to help her out. And she chucks you this plasmid that you can use to 
either you know to um heal the little sisters rather than yeah. harvest them yeah what's your feelings on that like i actually it wasn't until this morning when i was reminding myself of the story that i realized that that's what she did <laughs> so like I, i'm mm. not the best person on this section I, I don't think for some reason in the moment i never clicked that it was a plasmid that was allowing you to remove this stuff. i forgot about that as well yeah because i was looking at it thinking how am i how am i just healing these people <laughs> like some sort of jesus yeah yeah but there's a there is actually a narrative reason for it, so that's my my bad again. Yeah, um, and that's obviously that the, this choice will then carry on through the rest of the game of if you decide to harvest or or heal the little sisters. Uh, Which again is another thing that is maybe worth of criticism of the game. And agreed. That, like we were speaking about it before, and like I watched the, the the bad ending, and then the bad ending is so bad. Like you it's are this, yeah, you are this like almost Dr. Evil cartoon villain that just goes in a rampage through just like to take over Earth. Yeah, I don't like. understand that. Because like, But that you would you get that ending if I just didn't save one little sister? I think it's one or it might be two. I don't know. I, I think it's yeah, it's basically that's there's two different bad endings. There's one where okay. she's like super pissed at you. Right. And there's one where she's disappointed in you. But she says the same things just in a different tone. Alright, ah, okay. Because I was watching this thinking like that is harsh. If you miss one little sister throughout the whole game, yeah, yeah I'm getting this ending. I was like, that's a bit harsh. Especially as you're, fit. you're supposedly going to get more resources from doing it. And really, yeah. the way you've progressed through all of Rapture and everyone who's against you, you're not playing it outside of the little sisters. You don't play it as an evil character. But as you mm. say, at the end, if you've, if you've harvested a couple of them, you start a fucking nuclear war. <laughs> you unleash splicers on the surface world and then launch a nuke. I mean, if I knew that's what I was playing for, I mean, I didn't realise I was playing for, like, you know, dictator sim. <laughs> Very strange. But again, that's another thing Levine didn't like. He said, obviously, the, the good ending is what he really wanted to have, but they were forced, for some reason, to have a choice of endings by yeah, the publisher. Yeah, that's odd. I'm really surprised by that. Super it's... surprised, given, well, we've already spoken about it, given that it seems to be one of the poster kids for multiple choice endings. Mm. But then again... Levine doesn't work for that company anymore and could quite easily throw the publisher under the bus for something that wasn't yeah, true. Yeah, to, to an I'm extent, sure I, I feel like the ending, this is a different podcast maybe, but the ending to Bioshock Infinite is, is him throwing the publisher under the bus yeah. to an extent. Yeah. Uh, we'll come back to that on another day, no doubt. Maybe we will. After, after this saving of a little sister, we very quickly then have our first Big Daddy fight um, who is uh, a bouncer version. So he's the one who will charge you relentlessly. He can send you flying across the room. Um, he doesn't attack you until you provoke him. That is so disorientating, by the way, when you get That's bounced horrible. across the room. Yeah, try yeah, to like, figure out where you've landed. Yeah. <laughs> regroup. Yeah. yeah, and he's not, he's not going to wait for you to get your bearings again. He's coming no. straight for you again. I mean, especially if you've got the um, static discharge plasmid as well then you get all these flashing blue lights across the screen as he's smashed you apart um but it's uh definitely more of a boss fight than than steinman was this is these are obviously a a pervasive perennial boss fight that you can have multiple times throughout the game still cool that he doesn't attack you until you provoke him though yeah no i like that about the big daddies in general Unless you sometimes the odd one would get annoyed if you got too near them, but for, <laughs> yeah. for the most part, you could just ignore them. There were these like because they were so dangerous. For the most part, they were boss fights that 
you could choose when and if to engage, which I really, really like because they were so brutally difficult in, in at times and such a threat. But it was a threat that almost on all occasions you brought upon yourself. And they, despite the fact that they have this horrible wailing, growling noise, they are really sympathetic characters. Especially mm-hmm. as you get towards the end of the game, you realise how all these have basically just been brainwashed, indoctrinated, normal people who have been forced to do this. But even yeah. when when watching them around the world, having you know, caring for these little girls, just getting about their business, don't want anything mm-hmm. to do with you unless you t- you know go after the little sister or whatever. They this the subtle sort of environmental storytelling they use to purvey these as sympathetic is is really well yeah. Done. And I'm guessing the sort of melancholic whale noises they make is deliberate because on one hand they are like the big hulking beast of the of rapture mm. and i guess in the same way like a whale like but for the most part if you just leave them alone they're not dangerous even though they could just rip you apart without even trying a whale is a only... good analogy yeah and I, I, yeah, I just think that whole imagery it brings up, like the noise, the, it's quite a sad noise as well. And then it's when you know that these things, yeah, these things are like f- welded into their suits and yeah, brainwashed. Geez. Like it is quite a sad, sad experience. So yeah. yeah, I think I think that whole thing around the big daddies is really really well done. Yeah, absolutely. And they they never, I mean, they obviously start off by showing the big daddy killing that splicer, but they never paint them to be these evil things walking around no. which is which is cool um so after we've done that we we, we get through to neptune's bounty uh, we're immediately greeted by this crucified corpse with a smuggler labeled above him that's right yeah um, this is the camera section isn't it yes yeah okay. which which obviously is easiest to do for the big daddies because you can just walk right up in their face and take a photo of yeah them. <laughs> <laughs> they don't seem to mind that um Atlas tells us we're headed to Fontaine Fisheries, which is the first mention of Fontaine's name. And and as soon as you go through the one of the first doors, uh, we'll get a fight with a rosy big daddy, which is the ones that have proximity mines, uh, this rivet gun. Um, I think at, some, at this point as well, splicers are actually trying to attack him when you first see him. So mm-hmm. you'll go a little bit further forward and you'll see all these splicers trying to gank up on this, on this rosy, but... These ones are, these ones suck because their rivet gun will absolutely chew you up. Mm-hmm. Can you remind me what the guy's name is? The big bad, Frank Fontaine. Is it Fontaine, the the bald guy? That's his name. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's one thing that I never realised about this game again until I started going back and researching the story. Is that so? He and I think it's just something I'd forgotten over the years that he's he's essentially like the mafia boss of rapture and yeah it seems like so he used to be in charge of the smugglers and stuff so that when you come out and you see the hanged smugglers they are they are so eventually at some point fontaine starts to demand an 80 percent cut to smuggle stuff into rapture mm-hmm. and people that didn't want to pay that essentially got hung and outed as being smugglers so they're people that refuse to pay the sort of the his like fontaine his cut which i thought was quite interesting yeah, and I th- they they paint it at the beginning as that Andrew Ryan was so afraid of anybody coming from the outside mm-hmm. into Rapture that that's why smugglers had to be severely punished and made an example yeah. of. But more likely, it's because they were 
in cahoots with Fontaine, yeah. his biggest nemesis that he has that. It's quite interesting as well to note that um, some of the smugglers that are like strung up or whatever, they've got Bibles underneath them. And Rapture is obviously a place that is free of uh, religion, but clearly yeah, okay. people couldn't handle not having that around. So they were actually smuggling in Bibles to, yeah, I guess, give people their hit of Jesus when they Jesus hit. Yeah. Um, we go under some docks at one point. We can get our first audio diary from Sullivan. And he does a bit of foreshadowing where he explains that Ryan made it so that the Bath Spheres have been locked down genetically to only his genetic relatives and associates, which was some foreshadowing of our character, I assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this at this stage is where this, I told you yesterday, uh, where the Rosie just completely ruined me because I was playing the game on hard. And on hard, it is ridiculous. Oh, really? The, the Bath Spheres, obviously, they don't, they don't reload a checkpoint. They just bring you back to life. So you, if you've used up all your health and ammo trying to kill a big daddy... Oh, that's a son of a bitch. You yeah. come back with no health and ammo. You, you just got to go back and grind it up again. So I put it back on medium at this point because it was just... It was ridiculously hard. And it's hard yeah. on medium. It's not an easy yeah, game. Yeah, it's not, it's not. It's no mess in that game. I remember when I first played it, I played it on easy because <laughs> I got so badly wrecked at the beginning of the game. But this time, yeah, don't play it on hard. Unless you're mental. Because I'm pretty sure there was an achievement to play it on hard and turn off Bath Spheres. Oh, really? Yeah, so then you're, you're talking about coming back from, I don't know, safe scumming, I guess. Ugh, yeah. Who knows? Um, so at this point as well, you get your first... If, you, if, you've, if you've kept uh, healing the Little Sisters, this is where you will get your first reward from Tenenbaum of a, a little sister will bring a bear to the gatherer's garden uh, and it will give you money, usually gives you some sort of, he- you know, special ammo and a shitload of Adam. Now, in the com- in the commentary, Levine says that you do still get slightly less, but he doesn't really like the fact that this is part of it as well because he it doesn't make the choice that agonizing whether you harvest or heal them at this point or at mm. any point because you're eventually mm. every three that you heal, you get a massive wadge of Adam. So yeah. he really wanted it to feel much more agonizing to do the right thing and hope that players would just do the right thing because they because of their humanity. But really, the, the punishment for doing that isn't enough to deter you from just being no. evil. No. Which is a shame. Yeah, yeah. But I definitely... I was I was grateful for it because I wanted the good ending and you need that the Adam because you just yeah so, so many slots and upgrades you can get that it's you'd be so underpowered without yeah it's, it's one of these things that this this sort of mechanic is maybe not great for games because like you want you want players to get the upgrades and get the the plasmids to have fun with them but in a way to play they have the good ending or the canon ending you've got to limit your exposure and access to adam which yeah. then gives you the upgrades and stuff it's a weird it would have been nice to find a way around that that still let people mess about i suppose you do get enough but i didn't unlock everything in my playthrough i, I assume that's probably what um helped him come to terms with the choice in the end yeah because as you say it will it will just ruin your experience as a player there's a there's a there's an empathetic 
and moral moralistic element to this mm. but that doesn't always translate into a fun video game and it would not be fun if you didn't get 260 adam every three that you've healed exactly, exactly. You yeah um the area itself i quite like this area actually it's all kind of boardwalks and you've got overhanging like hooks and harpoons everywhere and mm -hmm. all this sort of fishing paraphernalia this is one of my favorite areas to kind of look at um we we get to Fontaine Fisheries itself, where we meet Peach Wilkins, this kind of stuttering, uh, he seems like a simple person who won't open the door until you get a research camera from the Wharf Master's office. He gives you a grenade launcher to help you because this is the first time you get uh, spider slicers, the ones that crawl across the ceiling. So he gives you he gives you a grenade launcher to help you out with this. Mm -hmm. But this thus begins the research mechanic. How do you feel about the research mechanic? I hated it yeah. <laughs> i didn't enjoy it i just thought it was it just wasn't fun to you know, i just i didn't find it fun to engage with and i found that like if you if i was going around trying to take pictures of things i was getting hit and getting shot before i was actually able to whip my gun out and stuff mm. and i i find it also maybe that again i'm happy to say this is probably just me but i couldn't always work out what I had taken pictures of and what I still had to take pictures of. So I ended up yeah. just taking a lot of the same pictures of the same enemies over and over again. There's nothing worse than spamming the picture button and it going, you're not seeing it because the text yeah. is right in the corner that says, you've already done this, there's nothing more to do. So I think I, I engaged with it quite heavily for that, that area and then I didn't touch it again after I left. Yeah, so the, the, that, this is one of the heaviest RPG elements of the game, I think, because if the more you take the photos, the more you an experience you get from doing it you eventually do get plasmids from it and you also get damage bonuses towards the maybe that's well. why i had such a difficulty with having Probably. spongy enemies because i just wasn't engaging with that side of the game yeah quite possibly because by the mm. end you get like two times damage or whatever it is to all of them yeah but then on the flip of that that's probably my fault but on the flip of that is to say I was like another mechanic which I ended up absolutely despising was the hacking mechanic and mm. I had to engage with that and it made me like the game less because I was continually having to I mean especially in the last area I feel like I was hacking stuff every minute I was having to hack something and mm. being forced to engage with a section of the game that I didn't enjoy or was just bored of yeah wasn't great I don't like the I don't like the camera either it's a weird it, mechanically it's just too fiddly if there yeah. was a if there was a button to whip out the camera rather than having to go through the wheel and select the camera and then go back to your gun, then fair enough. Mm -hmm. But because yeah. you have yeah, to just completely a dedicated hamper yourself, camera button even would have made it slightly yeah, better. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the incentives to do it are there, but the way that it ruins the combat experience, as as you decided, was just not worth going through. Yeah. I, did I, you I, stick with it or did you give up on it? Purely because I wanted the extra plasmids and bonuses. You stuck with yes. it. Yeah. Um, I don't. I didn't max it all out, and I remember I, I tried to get all the achievements on the Xbox version of this. So I remember mm -hmm. trying to go back and take photos of all of them. Especially by the time you get to it, another problem I have with this is it doesn't tell you what level you're at in terms of. I think there's three levels of research you can do for each one, right. something like that. Yeah. It never tells you which one you're at, and by uh. the time you get to the third one, the amount of XP you actually get from taking photos is just nothing, and it takes mm -hmm. so long. Um, especially if you're trying to photograph them when they're dead, you get it just won't let you do it. <laughs> um, there's a little moment here where Peach says, "If he smells Fontaine on you, you're not allowed in." And then Atlas comes on the radio and says, "Fontaine is dead," which you know we all know 
is not the truth. Um, we go to the Wharfmaster's office, we get the camera, um, and that's when we start doing all this researching. When you've taken enough photos of the spider splices, which is quite hard to say, you get a call from Atlas to go back to Peach. Mm-hmm. And then naturally, once Peach lets you inside, he accuses you of working with Ryan, uh, begins to attack you. And I fucking hate this boss fight. It's an absolute mess. He's got sentry bots. He's throwing Molotovs at you. There's splicers everywhere. Um, he's already made you give up your weapons to get in. So you've got no weapons. Um, you can get them off oh, of the corpses. Right, yeah. uh, so the, I think the only weapon you can really get is a pistol off of one of the dead guys. Mm-hmm. But you basically have to just use your plasmids you basically have to hack the other sentry bots to try and and then try and scrounge as much health and evo tonics from the surrounding freezer areas but this fucking sucks so so hard (laughs) i died so many times on this boss fight even on medium because it's just you can you can't even go back and get your guns until the button until it's ended yeah good way of getting a challenge but the difficulty spike is insane Mm mm-hmm yeah, and I think this game does this from time to time. It's just there'll be a, an insane difficulty spike and then it'll go back to normal again. Mm-hmm. And this is just one of the... I guess this is a, probably the most glaring example. I would say so, yeah. The fact you've got mm-hmm. no weapons at all. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember I was just trying to... Just trying to freeze them does nothing. Uh, not freeze them. Zap them. You, you can't yeah. kill the enemies with that. You only stun them. So basically you're just never doing any damage until mm-hmm. you get onto the turrets. And if you blow the turrets up or whatever... Or you, they get it destroyed if you smash them with a wrench. I don't, oh, I don't know why you do that, but yeah, you've got no way of attacking anybody. <laughs> so after we've dealt with Peach and all of his mates and all of his turrets, uh, you move through the freezer area, you melt the ice with the incinerate plasmid to carve a path to the smuggler's hideout where Atlas is, he promises to meet you up ahead. So you head through these flooded storage caves towards the submarine control room this is where atlas says his family are waiting and then ryan comes on the radio tells you or warns you you'll know what it's like to be his enemy if you help atlas any further you press the button to open the submarine to release atlas's family but instead you get locked in the control room i think atlas is actually down there i think he's the one who runs out and says open the thing that's how i saw it yeah that's why i saw it too yeah um so he's he's down by the submarine and then you get the, your view obscured because some big uh, girder kind of falls in front of the window so you can't see him anymore he then starts yelling that he's been attacked by slice splices uh, and you've got to fight your way down to him as ryan taunts you that you're only going to be able to watch atlas die and then when you finally reach the submarine it explodes and atlas has a big cry thoughts on this part if Atlas has the ability to make you do whatever he wants. Why does he concoct this <laughs> story to make you care about what's happening and think he's a good guy? Uh, I have absolutely no idea. You've just ruined the whole game. I think the podcast is over. That's, <laughs> That's such a good point. What? Yeah. He does. Uh, uh, just like, would you kindly not find a cure for would you kindly yeah (laughs) yeah i wonder why it's almost like it's uh, if he didn't believe in the programming of your mind despite the fact that he created you and programmed your mind and has already proven that it works by making you pick up the radio then yeah you're right he didn't really need to it's it's purely a narrative device for the player he's just got a bit of a flair for drama disorder yeah he likes doing Billy his Boy. Irish accent. He hasn't used it for yeah. a while. He's going to give it a go yeah. out for the day. 
It's like I've been down here alone all the time. I'm just gonna I'm gonna make my own drama play. <laughs> what, what a good point. Oh man, that's good. Um, so after this, we move through to Arcadia. Uh, Atlas is obviously really upset and pissed off and wants us to kill Ryan now. So uh, we start off in this graveyard. So, area. Yeah. So sorry. Back on that, did did yeah. Ryan do that then, or is he all? Did he manufacture that? Did I, I think? Oh uh, well, Ryan is the one who's threatened you. He's the one who's taunting you on the radio at the time. So I assume yes. Yes. He probably. I assume he believes that Atlas is who Atlas is, because that, there's posters everywhere about Atlas. There's messages that come on with a rapture reminder. Yeah, it must kind be. Of stuff like siding yeah. with Atlas is siding with the parasite and all that kind of stuff. He's yeah, he's a big motif of the enemy in the game. So I, I guess Ryan's been fooled as well. I assume so. And maybe the only the only reason behind oh no, because at the end of the game, obviously Fontaine keeps saying, "Oh, we could have ruled this place together, kid," but he was pretending to be somebody else when he's trying to be on your side. So if he's trying to get you to believe in him. Then he's doing it. He's hoodwinking you there as well. So yeah, I yeah. really don't, I really don't get his motivations behind the Atlas part. That's a very good. Point. I'd love to just speak to Ken Levine and be ask that question. Why doesn't he just say, "Would you kindly go up and kill Andrew Ryan and then come and hang Fuck out with off. me?" Yeah. <laughs> would you Would you kindly launch that nuke we've apparently got next to Rapture, please? Yeah, we're just keeping that. Yeah. And so, so yes. were the family? At a complete no, hit? no. I don't think there's anybody in there. No. Because you can go up there beforehand. You, you can go straight to the control room or you can actually go to the sub itself and there's nothing going on. But you, Atlas comes on the radio. He's like, oh, can, can you hear them? Are they making any noise in there at all? As if, yeah, as if he's trying to say, you know, oh, it must be really hard to hear them because they're in a submarine. That's, that's why it's quiet, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, okay. Very strange. So then, yeah, then we're off into Arcadia, which is like the... Uh, garden area of the of Rapture. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we start off in a graveyard, which is always nice. There's some corpses you can obviously loot. Um, we go into this big tea garden, and it's got loads of benches people were sitting on, and colourful foliage. I think at this point as well, you get the explanation of the ghosts that I'd completely forgotten were in this game, but that you're something to do with your plasmid ability and now allows you to see the memories of other people through the genetics. The gene splicing that's involved in creating plasmids means that you now got genes of dead people that you can see, you can see as ghosts (laughs) sitting on benches in a park. Uh, One of my favorite parts of this area is you can go into the employees only room and there's some moron in there who set up loads of steel traps and just run through them as soon as you walk in, which is great. (laughs) The the, the electrified (laughs) trap things, he just goes straight into that. Uh, and this is where you get introduced to the crafting mechanic. Although, if you've killed enemies before you go in this room, you'll have been picking up like fucking hose pipes and empty plasmid tonic things, yeah. little vials. Um, and I remember thinking that was really weird at the time. Like, I've killed a guy, and why the fuck am I getting scraps of shit off of this dude? What's this for? And then I remembered <laughs> that you have to do the crafting. And the, that's when I kind of remembered that the RPG elements in this game were way stronger than I remembered. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on on the crafting? It to me, it felt a little bit just kind of chucked in there. Yeah, it was something that always sort of just existed in the background that I never really gave much thought to. Like if if crafting materials appeared, I collected them, 
And then when I came up in an area I could craft stuff, I just crafted what I could and moved on. I never actually thought about it or engaged in it in any way. I think my biggest issue with it is that it, there is no logic or manipulation to what materials you get at all. It's just completely yeah, randomised. totally. I think like for games like that use crafting as a central mechanic, there needs to be a way of thinking, right, I want to build these types of bullets. Yeah, This is exactly. what I need. And then there's a way to go and farm what you need. Yeah. There's no way to do that. It's just no. what have I lucked into finding. Yeah. I, you can't I just go never... looking for a rubber tube. You can't yeah. do that. Yeah, exactly. You just you go to the U invent machine and hopefully you've got some stuff you can make. And if yeah. you have, great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, it seems that I, I think the game could have... I don't think the game would have been negatively affected if they just yanked that out. And after a while, it sort of becomes, to me, it takes away from the mystique of Rapture a little bit. Like, why the fuck were people making ammo in Rapture yeah. all the time? What do you need that for? In yeah, the employees-only room you don't need guns. of the yeah of the garden area of a Utopia, you've got a gun. You've got an ammo making machine. Yeah. What? Um. So. Although it's an American game made by an American, so good I guess. point. Yeah. What are you going to do without Walmart selling guns? Well, we'll make exactly. our own. Good point. Um, there are definitely guns in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> As you approach uh, the lower rolling hills part of this, this is where Ryan releases the gas into the air to kill all the trees, which will then starve all the citizens of Rapture from oxygen. And it causes a lockdown because of the low levels. So we can't get to the metro area. And at this point, on Atlas's advice, um, we go and meet Julie Langford, who was basically the head gardener. She's the one who created Arcadia in the first place. Mm Um, she will help us get the trees back to life. But before that, we get one of our, I think it's the first of many uh, fetch quests in the game. Who where we have... causes the trees to die? Who did that? Who's uh, trying to kill Ryan. commit suicide? Ryan does that. Ryan does that. And yeah, is he yeah. just sort of, is his thinking at that point just, this is not savable, let's just take everyone down? Uh, yeah, I think he, say, he says it, uh, he definitely says it later on when he does the self-destruct thing, but I think he says it at this point as well where, if you're going to take my, you know, if you're trying to take my city, I'm going to just, we'll all die. You're not taking if it. If I can't have it, nobody can have it sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Right. She first of all asks us to go get this Rosa Gallica. It's like a big plant that you've been able to go and look at before, but couldn't take it. But now you can. So you have to backtrack there. Once you've done that, you go back to her office to give it to her. But as she's in there, Ryan gasses her to death because of course he does. Yep. Uh, so she can't then complete this Lazarus vector to bring the trees back to life. So we have to then do it um, by searching for all these components that we can get from the farmer's market, which... So I was so sorry to like put a pin in that and we'll come right back to it. The, I've got a quick question, though. So like, it's like one thing that always jumped out to me in Bioshock is that I don't think you ever really spend any time in a room with a person that's not aggressive. And yeah, so, and if you do, they get gassed to death before you can yeah, go Yeah, well, so like, yeah, but even even at that point with her, you're looking at her through a window. Yes. Yeah. And you're, the only person that I can think that you're in a room with that isn't aggress- aggressive is is Ryan. And that, yeah. that, is an, that is an odd cut scene. And I, I actually find myself looking at the sort of movement and behavioral patterns of her and people you're in the same room as. And it actually is the way she moves and sort of cowers while she's getting gassed is actually very similar to a splicer. I wonder if the mm. AI just doesn't have 
regular human movement in the game because like even her walking around you get you, they've obviously put in walking around because they have that but the way she covers is even similar to the way the splicers move and i wonder if it's just like a slowed down version yeah, of that maybe because it's it's it doesn't seem to serve any sort of story purpose that they never put you in the same room as anyone yeah because even later on in tenenbaum's safe house she's through another window yeah she's just walking back and forth talking to you that way yeah and i wonder if that's just because they haven't got cam ai in the game I, yeah and i think uh the second game which wasn't the same development team but they do have a lot more face-to-face human interaction in that game from mm-hmm. what i can remember so yeah. maybe that was something they wanted to rectify but that's a it's a good point I, I, maybe you could you could somehow tie it to the fact that you know this is a utopia built for the key sort of industrialist society of great thinkers and workers and whatever and they all look down on you or everybody has this sense of self-entitlement that they don't feel the yeah. need to have any human contact. I don't know, but that's probably just stretching a little bit. And you're right, it probably is just <laughs> just development. Just, just um, technical limitations, limitations, I wonder. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if technically you're just watching a cutscene. I don't know. I don't understand it. Because there just seems to be no real reason for it. Yeah. But there must be something. Because it's an odd thing to... You, that's, an, that's an active decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. development and maybe it's because they had to keep it all in engine it was it was just easier to and quicker to do it this way yeah do you think yeah and they were all maybe worried players would try and shoot maybe if you, you they would have to make characters like that invincible so yeah that's always maybe, shooting, they, maybe they thought that was that would take you away from the pull you out of the game but especially as you know can... in some circumstances we're, we're basically just a homicidal maniac who wants to com- just completely commit worldwide genocide by the end yeah. of the game having killed all the little girls so yeah probably a good idea farmer's anyway, market sorry. sorry yeah we're on to the farmer's market which langford thankfully has a key for in her pocket which was super handy uh this is a really lame part of the game in my opinion so this is basically just a giant fetch quest yeah. um so your first port of call there is to go to this like winery and it's basically just a labyrinth. It's like an endless maze of brown cellars where mm-hmm. you're trying to get all this distilled water. And you can hear drunk splicers everywhere crying and saying sorry to their dad and Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And that's a, that's, this is a really prominent area where I found it, as you said, you had no idea where anybody was, but they sounded like they were right next to you. Um, the other part of this is the Silverwing Apiary, where you've got to turn on this smoke to keep these bees in their hives and then go grab enzymes from the hives. And every time you go and grab an enzyme, splices attack you. And there's a the smoke is on a timer. So you've got to run in, grab the enzyme, kill the splices, and get out before you get beat to death. Yeah. Um which was not fun. I'm sure you'd probably agree there. No, I agree with you. This is I really don't have much to add. It's just not a very good part of the game, I don't think. And it's weird as well that in this part of the game, you don't get introduced to the bee plasmid that way. And it was something yes. I was going to bring up earlier is that after a while, the mechanical reasons in the, within the game to get the plasmids just goes completely out the window. The Metroidvania aspect of it is totally gone. And all of a sudden, you'll go to a gatherer's garden and there's like 20 different plasmids in there, all of a sudden, just chucked in. Like, yeah. oh, there's a bee one. And oh, you can enrage people and oh you can hypnotize the big daddy and stuff it just seems like they all just they had so many ideas for this but ran out of ways to introduce it logically into the plot that they just went go over there there's shitloads of them 
Yeah, I think the bee one's a really strange one as well because what? So you can manifest bees from at- Adam out of your skin. <laughs> I mean, I love the way his hand looks when he brings yeah. it out. It's all like blistered and shit. Yeah. But yeah, it, and it never really worked for me. I tried to use that. I even had the bee thing plus three or whatever it is, and it still never really seemed to bother the splices. Certainly yeah. in the end game, they didn't give a shit if they were on fire. So why are they going to care about bees? Yeah, exactly. It's a shame. It is a shame. Um, so <laughs> this is when we go back to the Langford's office, obviously through hordes of splices. And then when you create the Lazarus vector, this is where Ryan then calls in a whole host of these goons to come and get you. And Atlas then tells you to lock the door and seal the door to the lab. And you've, you've basically got a tower defense part. Now, for me, yeah. in this section, there's a fucking big daddy in her office. So when <laughs> I sealed the door, I sealed the big daddy in there. And oh, all no. the while, I'm getting totally done in by this uh, horde mode of splicers. And this bad, big daddy's just walking back and forward, banging on the wall to get a little sister that come out that never comes out. And then eventually, obviously, I accidentally shot the bastard. And then he's, oh, part, that's a shame he's because part of it as well. In other parts of the game, you can really set the big daddies off against the splicers. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. Because the hypnotized big daddy thing is fucking terrifying. Because every time you chuck it at them, they just leg it right at you and stand next to yeah. you. Yeah horrible and i i don't know if i was finding as well when i used it they they kept when they came out of it they they knew what had happened and they weren't i don't know if i was accidentally shooting them in like the melee so like yeah i would i would use it they'd be useful and then it would wear off and i'd be like oh i, I need to fucking get out <laughs> this thing is going to come for me now because i've obviously angered it yeah i think I don't know if it must be because of an accidental shooting. Because I remember I had at least one time where he didn't attack me afterwards. He was just kind of like, what? And then just walked off. Go back to it. Yeah, I must have just been spraying around like a madman. But the the fact that they run up and stand next to you kind of, to me, made them feel less effective. Because sometimes I'd be standing there getting shot and thinking, go over there and deal with them. Yeah. And they wouldn't. They would just stand next to me. And they'd always fire like proximity mines and then the, the splicers would already be attacking me. So it's like, they're, already, they're not going to go over there, are they, you bellend? But yeah, that was just a little funny thing I had where I'm stuck in this sealed-in office with a big daddy just trying to patiently get a little sister. Um, yeah, so after I dealt with the the splices and the collateral damage of the big daddy, uh, you can then restore the trees, uh, which means everyone's going to be alive. And then you can go to Fort Frolic, which is where we meet Sander Cohen. Um, yes. Who we talked about and who would have been Johnny Depp, I believe, in the film version of this if they were... Oh, really? I think this apparently the film has not actually been properly cancelled yet, but okay, he was the... well. Johnny Depp has been so. Yeah. <laughs> we'll Good point. Tenenbaum yeah. is Amber Heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um, uh, this is I actually quite enjoyed this part of the game. This is the best part. again. Yeah, but also it's a bit of a shame because I think it's the most f- fluff the game has like yeah in terms of like telling us a story like it, it does nothing to add to anything and you could just pull it out wholesale and i don't think it would affect the narrative in any way it's it's interesting because sander cohen makes the point that he has blocked the radio transmissions from ryan and atlas which means yeah. and he never says would you kindly so he obviously doesn't know who you are mm-hmm. he just calls you little moth all the time um and he tells you that he's um He's, he's testing you, isn't he? He says, oh, I've got tests for you. So yeah. um, first of all, he unleashes a splice, spider splices on the ceiling to attack you when you've killed enough of them. He says you've passed the test. He opens 
his area to Fort Frolic for you to go and, and meet him. It's a very cool area. It's got mm. th- full of theatres and boutiques. Yeah, and it's really well done. Really sort of vibrant colours everywhere. And it's got all these mannequins or plaster casts, whatever they are, but they basically mm-hmm. are real. Because if you hit them, there's blood everywhere. They bleed if you hit the, yeah. the mannequin things. So the, 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 the motive around all of this area is that you are killing these men that have betrayed Sander Cohen in some way and taking the photos for him to put up in his masterpiece, as he, as he calls it, which is on the mm. stage in the, main, in the main hall, the main atrium. Um, and once you've taken all these photos, he's, he's then going to cooperate with you. Um, what have we got? So I found some place. There's some places of note. There's a you've got Cohen's collection, which is like an art gallery, and it's got that's the one with a table. It's got like a family scene set up of all these plaster casts that's just right. sitting at a table. Um, there is a strip club, and it seems to sound now. I don't know if you remember this, but there's a you get a ghostly vision in this strip club that you go to. And it sounds as if Ryan kills this stripper because he impregnated her, but she sold the, she sold the fetus to someone because she needed oh, I money. Missed that. So it sounds as if Ryan wanted to make a kid with this stripper or prostitute or whatever. And she sells the baby and he kills her for it. Cause she's dead on the bed when you go in there or whatever. So that was a bit weird. Uh, you can, uh, you go into the theatre where you find the first guy and he's he's playing the piano under duress yeah. from Sander Cohen and then he, the guy gets upset at the end because he, he can't please Cohen enough and then Cohen blows him up. And that's where you first start to get this mission to photograph people. <laughs> um, what else have we got here? So basically that's that's when you you have to, once you've done all of that, this is where you get the crossbow as well. He gives you the crossbow to kill people with as a prize for the first picture that you take. Mm-hmm. Um, and after you've done all of that, this is when Cohen finally shows himself at the top of the stairs to the atrium and he minces his way down there um, and then gives you this plasmid from the case. So he says, if you were his true protege, he'd have given you what's in the box next to him. And then he tells you quite menacingly to get out. So at this point, you've got the option of killing him or sparing him. Um, he comes back later if you don't kill him, which is... Oh, I don't know. I had an option. I think I just wasted him. So yeah, you can get the key off him there for the for the box, but if you don't kill him, you can get into his apartment later on in uh, right. where I can't remember where it is now, but he, he has a, a power to the people machine in there, which you need to get all right. of the gun upgrades. But um yeah, so thoughts thoughts on Sander Cohen. He's um Yeah, he's he's, he's delightfully insane and I think it fits well like that that whole area was designed like from like designed really well from like his personality type to the the actual like layout and design of the 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 area of the entertainment zone so to speak yeah um yeah i just think it was a really nicely done area i enjoyed the fights they were very wave based but that's what bioshock is um yeah and it was, it was fun, nice to have these guys kind of legging it from you and that you're sort of chasing yeah. them down and he's definitely the like the embodiment of what you'd expect someone who lived in that utopia to have being yeah. turned into this really mm-hmm. grandiose you know guy with this panache for using you know flair in his voices and telling poems and you know even when he blocks the bath sphere off right at the beginning of his level you've got this big bunny mask that comes out and all these mannequins that come yeah. floating down all this stuff yeah it's a very cool aside in the game which as you say doesn't really serve the, the overall narrative that much no it's i wonder if a- i'm trying to think the designers just thought they would give you a break from the 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 
the churning through monotony. No, it's not monotony. It wasn't monotonous. That's not the right word, but it's just like a, a palate cleanser, I think, for the next part of the game, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, I just think it's it's a shame because, it, like I say, it's my favourite part of the game, but I think it's also the most needless part. Yeah. If you were trimming fat, it would go... It must be that they really believed in it. Yeah. They just really wanted this artist guy to be in here and look at all this fucked up imagery we can create, but we can't think of a reason to keep it involved with Atlas or whatever, so... Yeah. So after we've dealt with him, then then we finally get on the way to Andrew Ryan's office. We begin our journey there and we end up in, I think it's pronounced Hephaestus, Hephaestus? Don't know how you say that. Aye, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's uh, you. You walk out and you see it, and it's and it stands oppressively above you. It's this big, massive sort of factory. It's got this like opulent red light that spews out from it, and and lights up all the hallway that leads to it. And um, this is like a really big industrial area. Um, and I think I remember them saying on the documentary or the the commentary or whatever it is on the game that Ryan is such a big industrialist. You know, he's work, He's a he's a hard mm. worker who's created this empire for himself, and he would want to be involved in this. You know, he doesn't live in the in the big high rise flats and penthouses. He lives his office and his base of work is in this big factory where he feels most at home because that's where he got to where he is. Um, we've had audio logs throughout the game for a while from this McDonough guy who felt like he was some sort of janitor or dog's body for Ryan. Right. And at this point, he's where he says that he's he's had enough. He's finally resigned. Um, he can't take doing all this dirty work for Ryan, you know, having to kill all these people, having to get all these little girls, set them up to be little sisters. He can't handle it anymore. So um, we later then hear of his desire that he wants to kill Ryan. But unfortunately, we get that from an audio log off of a corpse that's hung up on the wall. So I assume that we he failed in that mission. Yeah, seems that way. And this is where we have to overload Core 3 to get into Ryan's office. Um, and the, the solution lies in the failed machinations of Supervisor Kibbertz, who is building an EMP bomb, as you do, to, over- yeah. to overload the core. And then we do yet another fetch quest as we have to go grab parts to assemble this EMP bomb. Yeah, I'm, I'm not into those, to be honest. There's a lot of them in this game. Yeah. I mean, the area, I, I don't mind the area because it's... It's totally different from everything else. It's no longer the, you know, the, the user interface of Rapture. If you want to, you know, mm. it's not. It's not that it's, it's behind the curtain now. We're we're into the main, you know, meat and potatoes of yeah. how this place runs. Yeah, that's true. During during all of this, you get loads of loads of diatribe off of Ryan. He's always interrupting what you're doing. And at this point, he's he's now starting to reveal the plot to you piecemeal by saying. He casts doubt on how you somehow miraculously managed to crash land in the middle of the ocean right next to a rapture and how's that happened and why, you know, do you not think that's a bit weird? Um, and after you've constructed the bomb, you head down to the core, which, you know, completely fries the core, unleashes, uh, it raises the alarm, Ryan raises an alarm. Loads of splicers and sentry bots come at you. You've got to fight your way through all of those until you get to the circuit breaker gate to his office. You throw it open. And then here we go. You're on to Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, but before you get there, you're in rapturous central control now. Ryan sets off the self-destruct, so to bring down the whole city again, saying if Atlas is Atlas can't take it from him because he's gonna, we're all gonna be dead. A little bit more foreshadowing where you get Sushong's diary that says hints at your genetic similarities to Ryan, as only those with Ryan's genetic makeup can use the Vita chambers to come back to life again. Um, So Ryan's office is sealed shut, so you have to find a crawl space, and you drop down 
into a room where it's got a massive wall that says the words would you kindly on it looks like in blood and it's got loads of pictures all connected with string and that's where you start to learn and you hear these audio logs so where you get that audio log with Su Chong, that really horrible one where he's been talking about creating babies and then there's the next one where he's talking about he gets that dog the boy sorry to kill his puppy break its neck Do you remember that no so there's a yeah he's got an audio log of a kid that he's, got, he's he's testing the mind control out on so he i think he uses would you kindly as well and he, he right, gets this okay. little boy to break his own puppy's neck oh my goodness which i thought would have, would have stayed with you because we both hate dog violence yeah anything i've also just deleted that from my head wise and then uh this is finally where we get to see ryan himself so i'm going to play the little clip and then we'll talk about that afterwards here's the clip in the end, what separates a man from a slave? Money? Power? No. A man chooses. A slave obeys. You think you have memories. A farm. A family. An airplane. A crash. And then this place. Was there really a family? Did that airplane crash? Or was it hijacked? Forced down. Forced down by something less than a man. Something bred to sleepwalk through life until they are activated by a simple phrase spoken by their kindly master. Was a man sent to kill, or a slave? A man chooses. A slave obeys. So, this is it. Ryan tells you, you've never had any family. You're a test tube baby. You're controlled by the phrase, would you kindly, which then Ryan uses to force you to beat him to death with his own golf club. <laughs> how, do you feel about, how do you feel about this? Does it still resonate with you? Is it still... I thought I thought it was brilliantly acted. In fact, I don't think yeah. any of these actors in this game were like the typical ones we'd expect. They weren't famous actors. A lot of them were just the staff. But I think mm. the overall oh, voice really? acting in this game is amazing. Some of the voices are Ken Levine. I think he does the oh, really? Circus of Values fucking annoying clown thing. Oh, does he? Which was in my head. I find myself going down making it's cups of tea like. But yeah, what's your what's your thoughts on the Ryan twist moment? Yeah, I think this is where this game really comes into its own. This is this is why people hold it up to be the be the classic um, masterpiece that it's seen as today. Mm-hmm. This is sort of the seminal moment where everything comes together, and it allows the game to sort of continue and build upon this unreliable narrator theme that it's 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 done. So like, it almost feels like the fake ending of the game, and then you yeah. get hit with the unreliable narrator stuff and the the would you kindly stuff, and it just realizes that everything you've been doing up to this point has been shrouded in lies and secrecy. So it's it's like because I I think the first time through this game, if I remember back to that time, it does feel like this is sort of you're building up to the end. Yeah, and then you get that climax and realize that it's not the climax that you thought it was going to be which then powers you on to sort of the back third of the game yeah and there's a lot to play still after this there in is. my head i think in my head this was near the end of the game but it's really really not um, no and in terms and, of areas there aren't many but they, they are long areas after this yeah yeah 
yes, that's true. And yeah, I th- I think this is where the game. I think part, but it's part age and part part design. But I remember this is this is where my enjoyment of the game started to wear after this, and and sort of the, this this part happened. Like I was still engaged in the story, but in terms of the gameplay, this is where it starts to feel a little bit long in the tooth post this section for my money. Um. The actual section itself, though, I can't fault it. It's it's really great. It's un- it's really well, like you're saying, it's really well acted, and it's it was really it was unlike most things we had seen in games mm-hmm. up to that point. Yeah, and I think that that shouldn't be overlooked, and I think that's important to put, again place it in context. And I think if you if you relate this to the ending of Infinite, where I feel that this is is talking about an overall meta critique of game narratives and how you you know your actions as a as a player of a game are are scripted and forced upon you whereas you compare that to the ending of infinite which got really wordy and overly kind of oh there's always a lighthouse there's always a man yeah that this this was done in a much better way it's on a much more human level of you just sort of being forced to do this stuff for this person who is effectively your relative because it's your, it's his DNA you were created yeah. from, yeah. Albeit by Fontaine, who of course reveals himself at this point. But as you say, after this, it just sort of becomes a revenge mission. It's just I'm going to go kill Fontaine now because he's a bell end, and look what he's done. Yeah, and yeah, and and Fontaine even becomes this like over the top yeah. villain, doesn't he? Yeah, he's, he's got this evil laugh that he does when you when he yeah. when you've overridden the self destruct. Although I suppose. Having while you were talking about this, thinking about it, I guess the the next part of this game, which is where you get Fontaine, then tries to kill you immediately. He sets all these again turrets and bots and splices after you. You follow a little sister who tries to who takes you into this little crawl space where mm-hmm. you pass out, and you eventually end up in oh, Tenenbaum's yeah. safe house. Yeah, yeah. Now I wonder if you could maybe counteract our points earlier with the fact that Tenenbaum is there she is a I assume now because even before we arrived that that Fontaine knew she had sort of reneged on her initial um, mantra and her her real reason for being in Rapture to create these little sisters she had these regrets and of course this point we have to then try and get rid of the mind control that Fontaine says he has over you maybe he was aware that you could potentially seek her out or she would seek you out to try and save you from this mind control because there is an antidote for it. So that's yeah. what maybe needed the theatrics of I'm Atlas, please help me kill Ryan. He gets you all the way up to where you've done the thing he wants you to do before he then yeah. reveals it. So maybe there was this point of, well, if he finds out that Tenenbaum can actually save him and I'm controlling him with would you kindly, I'm fucked. So I'm, yeah. I better keep this up to persuade him as, as well. I d- yeah, hopefully. I <laughs> and if not that's how it, that's how I'm going to see it from now on yeah so yeah we wake up in the the safe house uh, this is where Tenenbaum is through the window she tells you you were created by Chong, used by Fontaine and that he still has some control over your mind and that we need to go to Chong's uh, apartment uh, to get Fontaine's mind control out of us so as you leave the hospital Fontaine tries to make you he tries to make you go get stepped on by a big daddy by saying would you kindly go get stepped on by a big daddy uh, that doesn't work, and he gets really pissed off because you've obviously started to 
get rid of his mind control. And at this point, yeah. uh, is as you said a minute ago, where he turns into this big, bad, you know, over-the-top villain. And he uses code yellow, which tells apparently makes your brain tell your heart to stop beating. Um, and in game Jesus. terms, this is what it, you you randomly get your maximum health lowered every... There must be on a timer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, it really does try to, to make the end game quite difficult. You've got overpowered mm. splicers and you've got your own max health getting hammered. And this is, again, this is all after the big reveal. So at this point, as you said, it's when it starts to... It gets overly tough. It's overly long-winded. It's a little bit of a disappointment, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. But yeah, I think I think this is just where the game just becomes overly long-winded and up its own ass in the terms of it just extends things in a way that don't need to be extended, and it draws things out. And it, it just it rely it starts relying on the fetch quest. Like there's the big daddy suit fetch quest that I guess we'll get to eventually, mm-hmm. um, which yeah, should be really not- fun, but. On paper, I'm going to be a big daddy at the end of this game. Sounds really cool. Yeah. But it's, it's just... They make the journey to becoming that such a pain in the neck. Yeah. I mean, why couldn't you just... Oh, I guess they're sort of fused into their suits, aren't they? So you couldn't just take a whole suit off a body. And I suppose you want to get out of the suit at some point. So maybe you have to do yeah. it your own manual way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we So on the way to Suchong's apartment, we, we end up in Mercury Suites which is this big, lavish complex. Uh, this is where you can go find Sander Cohen, provided you didn't kill him. Um, the cool thing about uh, this... This is news. This is a complete revelation to me. Yeah, so the cool thing about this is he's, you go into his apartment. It's really ostentatious. Um, so he's got these two Houdini splicers that are dancing together to some music, and they aren't hostile to you. So he says something about don't, don't interrupt their dancing and leave them alone or you'll, and I'll fuck you up, basically. But what you can do, which I which I did by accident, is underneath the record player that's playing the music they're dancing to is an electric buck. So I took the electric buck, and it makes the it makes the play, the record player fall over, and the record skips, and both the splices <laughs> immediately just turn on you, and then he gets really annoyed. Oh yeah, I did that too. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah, I forgot about that section. Yeah. So. After that, obviously, Sander Cohen gets really annoyed, and that's what makes him come down from his apartment. And he busts out the door, and he goes, I'm Sander fucking Cohen! And then, once you've murdered him, you can then go in his apartment. And as I say, that is where you get the the final power to the... Why has he got a power to the people machine in his apartment? I don't know. But maybe he just likes upgrading his guns um, yeah. in, his, in his bedroom. Um, again, <laughs> it's, you know, it's still in America, technically. Um, Suit Chong's not in his apartment. Um, he's got an audio diary that reveals more about being enlisted to create you uh, and he then mentions that he's also created uh, a, uh, an antidote to the mind control lot 192 so you can mm. find part of that in Fontaine's apartment um, where you get your max health restored and no longer code yellow is affecting you but at this point you get a side effect of not being able to select which plasmid you want to use and the game will randomly assign you a plasmid every Two, oh that's two right yeah minutes. it keeps changing yeah weirdly this gives you plasmids that you don't have as well yeah you just get it just cycles them all doesn't it yeah because i kept getting like um enrage all the time mm-hmm. which i kept trying to throw at big daddies and it said don't don't do that 
I I just ended up just not using the plasmas, I think, unless I had to in that section, just because I never knew what I was going to get. Yeah, there's a thing in um, the next section, which is Apollo Square, which is another apartment block, but it's a total shithole. It's all overrun, Mm. it's on fire, it's all dilapidated buildings in ruins and stuff. Um, But you can finally get to to, um, Atlas's HQ, and in there there's an armory. Uh, You can only get the stuff out of the armory with telekinesis. So I basically waited until it gave me telekinesis. Luckily, it was just, just standing waiting. It was only like a one or two cycles, and I spent most of my time trying to jump through the grate to get it anyway. Um, but yeah, I luckily did get telekinesis on about the third plasmid and managed to stick, because he's got everything in there. He's got all the weapons that you would want and all the, yeah. all the ammo. You then finally get to Sushong's lab, which is in Apollo Square, and you can see, I assume, is him, the doctor himself. Like, There's a, basically been drilled spine first into a table. Um, and I think you get an audio log that sound, that you can hear him bitch slapping this little sister. And then the big daddy goes absolutely nuts at him for doing it. And I'm pretty sure that's why there's a doctor in the middle of a table with a big drill through his back. Because I'm right, okay. pretty yeah. sure that's Sushong. And later on in the game as well, you, you get loads of audio logs that basically show how much of a shitheel coward this guy is. He is clearly very fearful, anxious, paranoid person who... Every time something bad happens to somebody else, he always says things like, oh, good for Su Chong, bad for this guy or whatever. I do, however, feel that if you made a character like Su Chong in a, in a modern game today, you probably would get in trouble for his Chinese accent and his... Yeah, probably. His English. <laughs> pretty egregious, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> bad, bad for Ryan, good for Su Chong. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, so in his lab is the second dose of lot 192 because of course there couldn't be one we had to go find something else so this is where yeah. Ten, Tenenbaum now says right now you're, you're free of this time to go finish this kill Fontaine go to Point Prometheus uh, and we get to Point Prometheus and Fontaine is at the entrance he shows off all of his plasmid skills by like lifting stuff up like lifting trains and chucking them around yeah um, and then he legs it through to this door to the museum uh, seals it off and this is where Tenenbaum says you're only you're only going to get through this if you look, smell, and sound like a big daddy. So we get another fetch quest this time with a cosplay element, which is you played. This is what you were doing yesterday, isn't it? Yeah, I, and I somehow missed the boots, so I was walking around not doing anything. The actual, if I'm, I think, I think I need to be maybe be fair with the game. The actual, I think at this point, I think I was just. I was fe- personally feeling that the game was just becoming a little bit long in the tooth and I'd overstayed its welcome a little bit. So I was ready for it to be done. Yeah. When I actually think about it, the game, the, the area is okay. I think this it, area is great. Yeah, it's just, I wish there was a bit more direction. Like, it doesn't tell you a lot. It just sort of, it tells you to go and be a big daddy and then, like, you, there's no, up to this point in the game, you can go to your objectives and see what you've got to do and knock mm. it off. There isn't even a list of get boots, get gloves, get helmet, get suit, yeah, and like ticked off. So mm-hmm. I didn't even know what I had until the game was just like, oh, by the way, you've got to go and get boots, and I, that was just like a little thing at the bottom. I think that's got to be a limitation of the arrow, right? Because yeah, yeah. only you only got one arrow, so I guess it can't point you to multiple things. So they just fucked it off and got rid of it. Yeah, um, yeah, but I actually didn't mind this area. I thought it was quite good and quite fun. I think, yeah, the fetch quest itself is a bit 
it's a bit laborious but the areas that you're in because you re- this is even more behind the curtain of rapture now because you've got um you've got the research centers you've got um the, the initiation of the big daddy areas where they've got all these suits hung up on the walls monitoring machines loads of terminals and stuff you've got the little sisters what's supposed to be i assume their nursery area but you can see where they were all developed so in terms of setting up how the the depths of depravity that rapture now is in was created this area is really revealing in that sense it's just a shame that it's filled with really tough enemies who are bullet sponges and a big fetch quest that kind of hampers your well field of vision because you've got to put a helmet on and it then gives you this sort of weird blurry fish eye and i had the booze hound perk as well where you get um more adam from drinking instead of losing it so i was constantly getting my my character pissed as a fart so he could then get so i was drunk inside a bloody big daddy helmet (laughs) especially like because i was finding it i was like this is not fun to look at when you've got that helmet on and you walk underneath some water yeah and it like drips all over your mask that is not fun it's clever but yeah annoying yeah once you've got your suit uh you get grab a little sister from the vent by banging your wrench on it um she then crawls under the door and lets you into the museum which as an area visually was a big disappointment i thought other than the first room with the big dinosaur skeleton i think the rest of it's pretty lame it's just stuff Mm. on the it's just like fish and stuff on the walls and whatever um so now we've done our fetch quest to get the thing we now do the only thing worse than a fetch quest which is an escort mission oh my god ending the game with an escort mission this this is it just proves that it really was out of steam by this point and after the ryan thing it's that's it's done so you, you the, two, the two the two worst oh, actually it does two of my three most hated missions in video games it does the fetch quest the escort mission and then one that it doesn't do the the follow mission god <laughs> god tailing missions someone. yeah <laughs> yeah fuck's sake it doesn't the, quite hit the trifecta no the, <laughs> this is one of the worst things about this is how when you get the little sister to help you for some reason she still has to harvest corpses even though you've saved her so tenenbaum says something like su chong's programming was was so powerful that they still they still have to feel compelled to collect adam even though so what was the point of saving them and (laughs) how how do they become because at the end of it apparently they go to school and shit so how do these kids (laughs) how do these kids maintain normal lives after this when even after we've saved them they st- we still have to protect them while they harvest adam off of corpses and call us mr bubbles they don't sound saved at all to me no and let's not forget saved little sisters still look fucking weird with their giant eyes and the really bad lips they still don't look like normal little kids yeah so yeah uh after after you've dealt with all these waves of enemies and a, and a big daddy who breaks through the wall um, it's finally time for a really shit boss fight. <laughs> for, and for some reason, Fontaine has all these machines outside his own room that he put, didn't bother shutting down that you're perfectly able to use to tool yourself right up for a fight. Um, what did you? How did you feel about that fight? Now, when you were playing it, I obviously couldn't see it because thanks 2K for not letting anybody stream these games. Um, so I heard you quietly deal with it and then just go, that was way easier than I remember it the first time. Yeah. So, what's your feelings on this boss fight? It was, it was poor. It like, is. They, they they built they built this guy out to be such a beast, and he he just was a little a little pussycat by the end of it. You it, you could just ignore 
I'm assuming they're you're meant to find it hard because they start sending all these splicers at you, but you just ignore them you and do, carry yeah. on shooting. Carry on shooting Fontaine, and he goes down so easy. Yeah, like so quickly and so easy. You just got to stay at the way the things he's thrown at you and just unload what you've got on him, and that was it. And he has Over. a big wind up for those fireballs and things that he yeah. throws at you. It's really easy to sidestep it. I don't think he did me any real damage. It was mainly just the turrets and splices and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a wet fart, to be honest. It reminds me very much of the Joker fight at the end of Arkham Asylum. It's very similar. Mm-hmm. You've got a big hulking monster that's quite easy to get away from, but yeah, every now I, I and don't... then he has to recharge himself, and then he's just going to get a load of gank squads to come yeah. at you while he does it. It's so video gamey, which is which is a bit yeah. of a shame, and it, it pulls it out like like we were saying before, and I was giving we're giving it kudos for having the boss battles up to that point just being sort of regular guys. Yeah. This just sort of chucks all that out the window and goes for the most video gamey, big guy, strong guy boss that it could have done. I would have much preferred you actually get into that area was super hard and then you get it and it's just this skinny little weed of a guy sitting behind a desk being abusive and you can just go off and kill him. That yeah. would far more satisfying. Like in um, Earthworm Jim, where you've got yeah. where your boss is a goldfish and you just take him out of the bowl and throw him on the floor. <laughs> yeah, that's a better one. The one in my head, I don't know if you ever played this game, but the one in my head is the end of Far Cry 4, where you get to the end boss and he's just having a meal at his de- it is at a big dining table and you can either go up and sit and have a meal with him or shoot yeah. him and walk away. Yeah. That's it. You could do that right near the beginning, can't you? You could just be his mate and he's like, yeah, come on then. He gets yeah. you in his helicopter. Yeah, another thing as well about this final boss that's that's really poor is the design. He just looks stupid. Mm. After all the, you know, the the incredible artwork they've got for this for Rapture itself, and then you've got the designs of the splicers, you've got the big daddies, and then at the end, the big blue man with muscles, and that's it. Yeah, and he is yeah, and like I think um, in my memory, my Bioshock Two was that it sort of moved away from the sort of dark gritty nature of the first game and just became a sort of comic book version of itself mm-hmm. and he is the epitome of that he, like it, it's it just feels so out of touch with the rest of the game it does it really does it pulls you out of the experience quite quite abruptly yeah it does which is a shame it's it a real a shame, shame. And again, hindsight being what it is, Ken Levine has said, you know, he hates the boss fight. He thinks it's stupid. He wishes it wasn't there. Um, but obviously somebody signed off on a big blue man and a fight at the end. So maybe that was a publisher pressure or maybe it was just they got done by their own meta critique of, oh, games always make you do stuff. Well, games always have boss fights at the end. So maybe they even they couldn't avoid it. And even they're part of the problem. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so once you've finally drained him of, of his Adam, well, he's, he goes into a machine to, to recharge it. You stick him with a syringe. Once you've done that four times, um, he initially sort of begins his final speech and smashes you away, but he gets interrupted by all these little sisters who jump on his back and stab him to death with their syringes. And then you get one of the two endings that we've we've kind of mentioned already. You either got one where you save all the little sisters, you they get normal lives, they go to school, you die of old age with them all by your side, uh, which, as we said, is very impressive considering you're a massive drug addict by this point. <laughs> um, and you've drank so much alcohol in my playthrough as well. Your liver must be absolutely fucking absolutely pickled. Wrinkled. Yeah. 
Um, or you can have the one that we said where you harvest them and Tenenbaum just completely admonishes you for being such an evil bastard who creates nuclear war and unleashes all the splices. And uh, Yeah, I wish there was somewhere terrible. in between. That, that just like such massive disparity between the two. Like you can either be a child killer or the saviour mm-hmm. of all children. It's too much. <laughs> yeah. And that is the end of Bioshock. And um, I guess we're approaching the end of our of the podcast. Um, but some final final thoughts on it. I still think the game the game is still pretty fun to play. It hasn't aged in terms of like walking around. It still feels like mm-hmm. a modern game in that sense. Mm-hmm. As you said, you can see the tendrils of how it influenced a lot of games going forward. Yes, the audio logs are a bit sort of wrote by this point and they've been a bit done yeah. to death they're kind of hard to get engaged with but they are all really they they, they reveal the story in a cool way that's not overbearing mm-hmm. it's not full of cutscenes and stoppages um it's all really well acted um and I, I don't i haven't gone back to it and thought this game isn't good anymore i've maybe just thought that the parts of it that are bad are more magnified in 2021 than they were in 2007 but how do you yeah feel? i think yeah, I think for my money, it's 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 a positive feeling for it, and I think I think I think if the question was like, is this game as good today as it was ten years ago? I think the honest answer to that is no, it's not. But that's not to say it's not a bad game, and I think it's still a good game, and it still has a lot to offer. There's a lot of enjoyment to be had from it, and I think if you're someone like us that has a big interest in video games and wants to sort of understand the history of the genre, of the media, and where it's come from, and this is this is one that if you did a, a video game university, a video game history university degree, <laughs> this would be part of the curriculum because really it, it really there is a lot that this game has learned from or the lot that the industry has learned from this game and continues to learn from and like, like i said at the very beginning sort of to close the loop nicely that the tendrils can be seen the audio logs were used and it is it moved it moved narrative on in a way that used to just be video like especially first person games but a lot of video games it would be have some gameplay have a cutscene, have some gameplay, have a cutscene, to the point that a lot of cutscenes, they felt, you, you, they didn't feel interconnected with one another, and you could almost just watch the cutscenes in isolation and have the, the gameplay in isolation. They felt like two different products that they had tried to marry alongside each other and run in parallel. But yeah. has this actually brought the narrative into the game? And like you can talk about like things like your criticisms of it, i.e. like it's a bit odd to have uh, your narrative play out in a way that you can di- get distracted from so easily and also miss parts of the narrative yeah. by not picking up all the things. Yeah. Um, but again, bear in mind that the industry has come a long way in the last 10 years in terms of storytelling and this is one of the important games for that and I think for that reason people that enjoy video games and have an interest in where they come from in, in the business, this is one of the games you need to have an understanding of. Absolutely. I have nothing to, better to add than that. That's, you've hit the nail on the head and I've spoken so much of my notes of three and a half thousand words. <laughs> I think I've got my Yeah, um, again, like peek between the curtain, Alex has put in an absolute butt ton of work on this podcast <laughs> putting together notes and research and stuff. So thanks, Alex. So uh, thank you, Alex. The kudos actually has to go to, to him on this one because he's put a lot of work into this episode and it, and it shows. So thanks for Alex. I really enjoyed that. That was fun and cool, a man. nice discussion about a, a cool game. 
Uh, yeah, and um, I believe our next game we're going to play will be a, a brand new game when we play it, as it will be yes. The Medium, which is the... I don't know how you describe it, really. I don't really. I, I'm not entirely sure what it is yet. I just, I just remember the trailer where you can, you can kind of change the world, can't you? Into this like two yeah. parallel worlds, and you switch between the two of them. So this will be our first Xbox Series X. Video looking game. forward to it. Might as well have something to play on this machine other than Apex. Yeah, this will be the first game purely built for this machine. I think, isn't it? Oh, really? To be released. Brilliant. Oh well, it should be fun. Might get some ray tracing at least. Use the, use the power of the Xbox. Exactly. So we'll have probably a lot more of a technological discussion going on for some parts of that. But yep. um, that comes out on the 29th, I think it's next Friday or something. So, mm-hmm. so tune in after that, I guess a week or so after that, once we're done with it and we'll, we'll have a new episode out. You were, Well, the next game we discuss will be medium, as, as Alex has said. But I think in between that, we're going to put out a best of a winners you podcast, which takes it's if I remember right, it's basically is it a whole year or is it an entire body of work? It's like old podcasts we used to do sitting on Alex's bed well, spare room floor when we're at university. Yeah. You'll hear the fan whizzing away in the background, but it's actually <laughs> quite a fun listen about where we started our started our life. Where how we would have been in our early twenties. Yeah, Around it would then. have been between 2009 and well, when I left uni, so 2012. So yeah. in that period, um, you might even we might even get some Bioshock in there if we're lucky. Uh, maybe, yeah. I think it would have been that period we were discussing it. We definitely had a uh, uh, we did a list, didn't we? We started doing lists mm-hmm. of the best games of all those years, so we would have definitely yeah. talked about it then. Um, I am quite tempted to do another best of for all the Gamertron shows because... Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Because that would have been us at a slightly more... Hopefully better. Similar level to what <laughs> yeah. we are now. Whereas back yeah. in the, the old Winner Is You days, we were doing... We did a lot of fan fiction readings. We did... Um, we were asking each other like weird questions every week, which were yeah. really fun. I enjoyed the weird questions in the fan fiction. They were great. That's... Yeah. We, that's, I reckon that's what got us the old award nomination back in the day. Oh yeah, uh, we were doing shit no one else was doing, and now we're just copying everybody else. We're just yeah. old, <laughs> cynical bastards just doing a normal show. Although, funnily enough, though, this idea is about a six-year-old idea we had for a podcast. It's just taken us this long to actually put it into play. So, again, we're ahead of the game. We're just slow to slow we, to manifest. Yeah, we're just refining it now. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. But yes, did you look it up? Is the what is yes the... at a winner is you pod. Yeah, so if you want to check out, make sure to keep up to date with when our stuff is going out, then that's the that's the place to do it. And in the meantime, well, you can head over to goombastomp.com where our, our podcast is being posted. Yes, that will have all the links. So we're on uh, iTunes, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and um, David has also been doing YouTube videos. So when this one is out, you'll be able to watch <laughs> Bioshock. I think after this one, we're going to start recording ourselves. So yeah, we'll uh, once we've got ourselves set up a little bit better in our in our podcasting rooms, we'll have video footage of us recording the show. But yeah, that'll be good. But the YouTube ones are worth watching if you want to see some gameplay footage while you listen yes. to this shit. But let us know what you think of the podcast and share your thoughts with us on Bioshock on Twitter by sending us some messages to interact with you guys. And I guess that takes us to the end of episode three of the Game Club Bioshock podcast. It does. 
Um, as ever, I've been David, he has been Alex, we have been a winner as you, and I'm out. Would you kindly keep gaming? Oh, <laughs> <laughs>